My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Michelle, for leading. Jeff, for accompanying this morning. I think the Holy Spirit got hold of the choir this morning. Well, well, well done. I'll be preaching today from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. There, I'm going to tell the story, and then there's a portion of the scripture that we'll read together. So have your Bibles open and ready, and I'll, I'll prompt you to follow along at that time. Let's take a moment for prayer. Thank you for that beautiful song, O oh Lord, that points us to Jesus Christ, who is our living hope. Speak to us now, O oh God, as we seek to hear your voice. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Over the years, when I've had the opportunity to talk to someone who's considering the call to serve as a deacon in God's church, I've said, you never know what is going to happen when you serve as a deacon. You never know what kind of opportunities are going to come your way. The pastor might get a virus on Sunday morning, and you as a deacon are called to preach in the services. Or, as a deacon visiting a young family who's just celebrated the birth of a child in the hospital, you are there to bring in the celebration of that new life. And a deacon may also, in visiting someone who is very ill, be the last visit and, hear, and be the last words of compassion that they hear on this side of heaven. Today's scripture is from the book of Acts, and it centers on a man named Philip who said yes to serving as one of the first seven deacons in the early church. Asked him if he would perform miracles in Samaria, miracles of healing, and he would say, no way. Asked him if he would be responsible for the spread of the gospel to the continent of Africa in those early years, and he would, he would likely say, not a chance. But these and other parts of his life and ministry are part of the history of the Christian church. So let's dive into his story. During the first several years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the pouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, thousands of people became followers of Christ there in Jerusalem. And the church continued to grow and experience an incredible move of the Holy Spirit. Both Grecian and Hebraic Jews joined the Jesus movement, and the twelve apostles saw themselves stretched to the limit to meet the needs of the growing number of people. They were spread thin. They acknowledged that they were overlooking the sharing of bread, the daily sharing of bread, especially among the Grecian widows. So the twelve appointed seven who had come alongside them in ministry. These were seven servants who would go about serving the tables, meeting the needs of these poor widows. 
It's where we understand the origins of the word deacon. Philip was one of the seven. The word of God continued to spread and the early church grew and grew and there would soon be opposition, much the same kind of opposition that Jesus experienced in his ministry. This persecution was responsible for the cruel death of Stephen, one of the seven men chosen to serve as a deacon. This persecution was also responsible for the scattering of the church to areas beyond Jerusalem. While the twelve remained there in Jerusalem in a very hostile situation, other leaders scattered about to other areas to continue to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some went to areas like Judea and Samaria. In fact, Jesus had told them, and we have this in Acts chapter 8, verse, Acts 1, verse 8, that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this is something that Jesus had warned them about. Philip was one of the leaders in Samaria. He was sent to Samaria and continued to preach and bear witness to his faith. The Bible tells us that he performed many miracles in the name of Jesus and that many experienced healing and salvation. In Samaria, Philip would challenge ancient prejudices, for Samaritans were considered longtime enemies of the Jews. They were not considered an appropriate race. He reached many people there and would be a, build, a bridge builder between these groups, and there would be healing that would take place. And while in Samaria, the uh, scripture recorded by Luke tells us that God spoke to Philip. We understand this to be the Holy Spirit, and he chose an angel to speak to him. Luke doesn't say the angel appeared to Philip. Rather, the angel, the, Luke says the angel spoke to Philip. And we, we see this as the voice of the Holy Spirit. Go south on the road, the desert road, that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. So he tells him a particular road to take and a direction to follow. You see on your map, number four on the center is Samaria. That's where he had been doing ministry. And then number five down in the bottom of the map is the road toward Gaza. So he's heading south and he passes through Jerusalem and there he encounters a, a man uh, from Ethiopia who served as a eunuch of the queen. This desert road was widely traveled from, uh, with people, especially in commerce, going from Africa and Egypt uh, to Asia. The word here, go south, certainly implies a direction, but the same word can also imply a time of day, noon. Midday. The Apostle Paul uses it in one of his conversion stories. And in Acts 22, 6, he says, About noon I came near Damascus, and suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. The same word, midday, noon, also go south. If we think about the story of Jesus who met the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, we can see some similarities. We recall that that encounter was also at noon. John 4 verse 6 says it was the sixth hour. It's a different Greek terminology, but the same thing, applying noonday. 
We know that this woman in John 4 was shunned by her community. She came to the well perhaps at the hottest part of the day when no one else would be there so that she would not experience more ridicule, more long stares, and more snide remarks. She could discreetly get her water and her um, containers and quietly make her way back home. Perhaps Luke is trying to send the same kind of message in Acts chapter 8, that Philip was to go down a desert road, but there in the middle of the road, in the middle of the desert, perhaps in the middle of the day, in the hot of the day, he would meet a marginalized person as well, who was minding his own business, trying to make his way back down to Ethiopia. Well, Philip obeyed the Lord. And when we say yes to God, sometimes God shows us amazing things. We understand that Philip was walking, and Luke tells us that he met the Ethiopian eunuch along the way who was in his chariot. Children, Miss Amanda pointed out uh, that the chariot kind of looks like a wagon with big round wagon wheels. Probably the Ethiopian had an attendant driving the chariot, which was driven by horses. That gave the Ethiopian an opportunity to be reading the scriptures that he had most likely purchased when he was in Jerusalem for worship. And a scroll, as you know, is uh, a long uh, piece of paper rolled out with verses of Scripture on it, and that's what he would have been reading. So this man from Ethiopia was a eunuch, and he would have been a high-ranking official of the queen. And uh, in the Scriptures, the queen is referred to as Kandake, it looks like Candace when you read it in English, but it's pronounced in the Greek, Kandake. This was not her particular name, but rather it was given to a dynasty of Ethiopian queens. So the eunuch would have worked for the queen of the dynasty of Kandake in Ethiopia. Today, this part of Africa is called Nubia, and it is split between Egypt and Sudan, Modern-day Ethiopia is down below that. The eunuch would be a person rendered sexually impotent and then given the responsibility of working with kings and queens. Uh, this procedure occurred without his consent, and it would have been done so that he would not be a threat to society or to the royalty, and therefore would be given a lifetime of work for royalty. Deuteronomy 23.1 tells us that a, a eunuch was not fully welcomed into the Jewish faith. Considered a misfit. I can only imagine what it would have been like for this man to live life with that kind of stigma in society. One commentator writes, The issue in the Jewish mind was family. A eunuch could not have one, so they were thought of as under some sort of divine curse an obvious disqualification for participation in temple observances. You know, the Ethiopian eunuch could have been incensed at the Jews and at their God for treating him in that way. You and I probably would feel very similar. Being excluded from religious practices for something that he had not chosen and marked for this role as a child and having to live the rest of his life 
being looked at in that way. Yet there was something about the God of Israel that, can, that intrigued him. Perhaps he had seen enough of the plethora of idols and false gods and false worship in his homeland. And when he was introduced to the God of Israel, there was something about this God that was the one and only true God as opposed to all those other idols and false gods. There was something about this God of Israel that spoke to his heart and he wanted to learn more. He became a seeker, even journeying to Jerusalem to experience his worship as close as he could be to worship of these people, but at the same time still being a marginalized individual. So there he is on the way back down to his homeland, and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah, in particular chapter 53, and it was customary when people read scripture back then to read them out loud. So Philip is sent down on the road, and he sees the Ethiopian, and he hears him reading the scripture, and then in verse 29 of the text, the Holy Spirit Again, Holy Spirit, the voice of God, told Philip to go to the chariot and stay near it. A literal translation of this word is go, quote, join yourself to it. The Greek word is kalao, and it literally means to be glued together. Have you ever glued your fingers together with super glue? And you have to get, if you're a guy, you have to get your wife's fingernail polish remover and paint your fingers with it so as to dissolve the superglue and release your fingers. Yeah? You don't have to raise your hand like I am, but I've done that. Um, glued together, a stick together, to fasten together, to cement together. It also means to cleave or to cling to. Jesus used the word when he referred to marriage, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, kalao. And Paul the apostle used this word when he said in Romans 12, 9, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, and kalao, cling to what is good. The Spirit is saying, Philip, go stick close to this chariot, don't leave it. And that's what he did. One commentator says, Philip probably jumped on the running board on the side of the chariot. Anyway, he got there and was able to ask the Ethiopian, I hear you reading, do, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I, how can I understand it unless somebody explains it to me? And then he invited Philip to get up into the chariot with him. It's amazing what happens when you and I simply listen to the voice of God and make us available to the people around us, how they may invite us to join them, how we become their guest, and we get to tell our story. And that's what happened. So the eunuch is reading the suffering servant passage from Isaiah, and he wondered, is this about the writer or is this about someone else? I don't understand. I'm not sure. But I know that it has something to do with the God of the Jews. And I know there's something more about that God than all the others. There's something different. And I want to know more. And then, as we read, hear the words that Philip helped him interpret. 
This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led to, like sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so did he not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. We understand this passage to be prophetically pointing to Jesus, the suffering servant who would die for the sins of humanity. And there in the chariot, the eunuch asked Philip to explain this passage. What an opportunity for a deacon in the church. It's a a reminder to all of us that you, the lay people in the church, are the ones who are ultimately charged with sharing your faith. You have so many more opportunities to witness your faith to others than we as clergy would ever have if we tried to do it all ourselves. So I pray that this message will speak to you and that you will, wait a minute, it's not the, the pastor or the clergy's job, this is my calling. And I have the opportunity to witness my faith and help people to understand the reason for the hope that I have. Maybe it's sitting on the bleachers at the ball game, in the cubicle at work, a round of golf, at dance class, at a block party, sitting around a fire pit in your neighborhood, fishing or hunting with a friend. People in all sorts of places sitting with others and the opportunity to have uh, uh, the, to share the, the reason for the hope that we have. And that's exactly what Philip did. He was led to the eunuch for such a time as this. And the Bible says that he started with this passage in Isaiah and then explained the good news of Jesus Christ. He didn't try to talk theology to the man. He simply heard his questions and tried to answer. No creeds to be followed, no doctrines to be affirmed, just the plain and simple story of Jesus and how it had impacted Philip's life. One person telling another person about someone very special, Jesus. It is said that the Christian faith is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Well, they continued along down the road, and then in verse 36, Philip, I'm I'm sorry, the eunuch looks over and said, hey, there's water. What is preventing me from being baptized? Obviously, Philip had talked to him about baptism, which follows a profession of faith. Stop the chariot! Stop the chariot! And both men got out and went down to the body of water, and Philip, a deacon in the church, had the opportunity to baptize the Ethiopian in the name of Jesus. Some of your Bibles have verse 37, which talk about his, profession, his uh, statement of faith, the Ethiopians, and some don't. It was not in some of the earliest manuscripts, but it says, if you believe with all your heart, you may say, and the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Whether it is a later edition or not, it doesn't change the meaning of the text. We don't see Philip hesitate. But what might have gone through his mind? What might go through some of our minds if we were posed with with this question? Philip may have answered, well, for starters, you can't be baptized because you're a different race. You're a Gentile. You're a different color, and that could be a problem. Or he might say, some think you're different, and that would disqualify you. And some uh, would say, you haven't jumped through the right theological hoops, making a profession of faith in the right way, using the right word, saying the right prayer, etc., etc. 
And if you give me more time, Philip could have said, I'll give you more reasons. But he didn't. To his credit and to the glory of God, there was no objection. There was no precondition. Just genuine acceptance of Jesus as Savior and Lord. And the Ethiopian eunuch, long an outsider in the household of faith, was welcomed into the family of God. We know that he had a genuine experience with Christ. And tradition holds that he went back to his land and was responsible for evangelizing the region of Ethiopia. One scholar writes this, There is sufficient evidence that God embraced the Ethiopians as the first people outside of Israel who were entrusted to be guardians of the Christian gospel in Africa from the days of the Apostle Philip until the present day. And this destroys the lie that Africans bequeathed no value to human civilization and did not receive the gospel prior to European transatlantic slave trade and the colonization of Africa. Philip played a pivotal role in the history of Christianity. And all he did was say yes to the Lord. When they came up out of the water, the Bible tells us that the Lord just took Philip away and sent him to another region, and and ultimately he spent a lot of time in Caesarea. The eunuch did not see Philip again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Rejoice again, I will say rejoice, in the words of the Apostle Paul. How sweet to be loved, how sweet to be valued, how sweet to be seen as a normal human being. There are four very quick lessons from this desert road. I hope that they impact your life. The first one is a listening lesson where we are to pay attention to those holy nudges. You know that gut feeling that you have sometimes? That's the Holy Spirit often speaking to our very inner being and he wants us to pay attention. So God help me to pay attention to the holy nudges that you send my way. Verse 26 29 and 39 all show uh, places where the Holy Spirit spoke directly to Philip, those holy nudges, and he listened. There's a self-awareness lesson. To look around and see who's near us or who's sitting next to us. Last Sunday in our church, in our message, we talked about the epidemic of loneliness that is sweeping across the world today. It's vitally important that we pay attention to those who are sitting next to us. And it's also important that we don't impose on them, but we seek to be invited, perhaps as a guest, into their space. But that we would share God's love through our basic story when we sit with others. There's a confidence lesson Verse 35 reminds us that I need to be confident in just telling my story. You can't tell my story to someone, and I can't tell yours. Each of us has a unique story. You might have been raised in the church, or you might have become a Christian as an adult later in life. Each of us has a unique story, and God wants you to share it. Plain and simple, your story. And the fourth lesson is a lordship lesson. Don't put God in a box. Philip could have found all sorts of reasons not to baptize the Ethiopian eunuch. 
but instead he said, let's go. Got up out of the chariot, and he baptized the eunuch into the Christian faith. Let us not put God in a box. Let us not allow our own prejudice or our own past or our own way of thinking get in the way of what God is trying to do through us in the life of someone else. There is so much more to this story. We find that we are led into relationships with people who don't know the Lord Jesus and those relationships can help us share our faith. They trust us and they will trust our God. This story in the book of Acts is about a lay person who shared his faith with a stranger. He said yes to God. It's not about Peter who led thousands to the Lord. It's not about Paul who evangelized much of the Mediterranean and and helped the church to experience incredible growth throughout the known world at that time. This story is not about them. This story is about Philip, a simple deacon who cared about the poor people in his church. When Jesus, when the Lord said, get up and go, he went and he shared his faith. I pray that I would be willing to do the same. I pray that you and I would be willing to do the same. Maybe you're one who just wants a little bit of Holy Spirit, a little church, maybe one committee or team to serve on and don't worry about much talking to folks and just come to church and get it done and, and go about my way. Hang out with a few other Christians, but never talk to anyone about Jesus. One writer has said that the longer someone is a Christian, the longer they are a Christian, the, the uh, fewer non-Christian friends they have. And we get caught up in the Christian bubble. And for, uh, before we know it, we're not sharing our faith with anybody. We're not building relations with anybody outside of the Christian family. And this story is to help us to understand different what our congregation needs is people like Philip. We need to be people like Philip. None of us will be a preacher like Peter. None of us will be a missionary like the Apostle Paul. But we can all share our faith like Philip. Lord, help us to be like Philip. Help us to listen to your holy nudges. Father, help us to sit with others and share our experiences. Help us to be confident in our story. And help us, God, please help us. Don't put you in a box. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so very much for this beautiful day of worship. All that has been said and sung and prayed and shared, we thank you. We give you the glory and trust that you are at work and we want to join you in that. Help us to be like Philip, willing to share our faith when we have the opportunity to listen to your voice, those nudges that you send our way. And there may be others today who have sensed a nudge that they need to make a decision to be a follower of Jesus, to take that next step toward baptism and life in the Christian family. Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.